Welcome to You Talking with Greg. <laughs> I'm here today uh, with Manuel Manga. He is the, um, the founder, uh, managing partner, the Institute of Evolutionary Leadership, uh, which is a social enterprise that builds leadership capacity across sectors to redesign worldviews, cultures, and institutions in service of a more just, sustainable, and flourishing world. I love that. You know? Uh, Thank you. Manuel has a remarkable background. Uh, he's engaged and been trained by some of the leading scholars in the world. Uh, and Manuel has a real powerful visionary uh, uh, angle on where we are and where we might be headed and how we might lead ourselves there. Manuel, thanks so much for coming on. It's great to see you. Greg, thank you so much for the invitation. Um, it's great to know, uh, to know you and to know of your work. Uh, and I have had the pleasure to uh, listen to some of your other interviews. And I really uh, appreciate the work that you've done with them. People like Lene, Rachel Anderson, and Thomas Jorksman, and others. Great. Um, wonderful. I'm, I'm, it's wonderful to have you in the lineup, my friend. It's, uh, I know you fit uh, brilliantly in these circles. Um, but why don't we just start a little bit? You have such a rich uh, life narrative to tell. Can you? I often ask individuals to start with their story. What's, a, uh, what's some of their history? What makes them uh, tick? And uh, that'd be great for the listeners, I think, to get uh, your rich narrative. Yeah, thank you. Uh, first of all, I, I would say that uh, I have a curious mind. Um, <laughs> and I grew up in, uh, I was born in Colombia, but I moved to New York City when I was 13 years old. Mm. And one of the things that I discovered in New York City was the New York City Public Library huh, uh, okay. on 42nd Street. And to me, it was uh, like a, a child, a kid in a candy store. Uh, uh, you know, it's like uh, millions of books and you could go there and read. And I love the New York City public library system. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Uh, I, without knowing it, I would love to read books about art and architecture uh -huh. and philosophy. Uh -huh. And it was like a smorgasbord wow. of, of knowledge. 42nd Street Library. About what age were you? Were, pre, were you a precocious I, I was, child? When, when the time I early? discovered the New York City Library, was, I was like 16. Okay. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. it, it took me a while to go from my high school to mm. kind of walk around New York City and get to know, you know, the sure. whole thing. Um, so and to me, the library system is like, was before the internet, you know? Right. No, it's, definitely. It's, and uh, if you had a library card, you know, you had access to all the knowledge. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, I was a late bloomer on that. I didn't become really a knowledge geek until like late in college. In high school, okay. I was smoking pot and skipping school. So that was my story. But whatever, you know. Right. So then I went I, I went to college mm -hmm. and I started college and just give you a brief background. Yeah. And, and I, I took courses like foundations of Western thought. Yeah. When I was a freshman okay. um, in City College, uh -huh. and I, I wanted to understand that, you know, there was a background question, like, who is this animal, the human being? Right. And what does philosophy have to do with this? What can mm -hmm. it tell me? And so I was very curious. And I was also studying psychology. So I took a psychology uh -huh. course. I took a philosophy course. Uh, Beautiful. So I was, like, searching for what makes humans human. Um, Love it. And, and so I was in that. Uh, so, uh, but then I, I have to say that 
uh, my academic um, took a, a turn, my academic uh, mm -hmm. curiosity and, and life, mm -hmm. because uh, I went from being a full-time student to a part-time student mm -hmm. in New York City, and it was during the Vietnam War. Wow. Um, and me being a good person, I told mm -hmm. my uh, draft board that I was now a part-time student okay. uh, instead of full-time student. And then I got a letter that they drafted me. Wow. So I was drafted into the U.S. Army during the Vietnam War. And I spent two years in, in the Army. And I, so I came out a veteran um, of the, the Vietnam era. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and, but those two years uh, made me think about the human condition. Wow. Made me think about why are we doing this? And why are we in Vietnam? And why are we doing war? And what's the purpose of humans? Right. Uh, so even though I was in the army, I was still continuing my philosophical uh, inquiry. That's really, that's really interesting. Can you tell us a little bit about kind of what you were involved in for those two years? Um, interesting enough, I, I was trained, maybe because I had my college education and my scores were pretty high. Sure. Uh, instead of being uh, the regular infantry person, right, right. Um, I was trained in public information. I was a PIO uh, specialist, okay. gotcha. and I was assigned to the public information officer. Um, and uh, so, and, um, and that, did, you know, which was perfect because I did a lot of research. Um, I read papers and- uh, right. And hold on a second. Yeah, no worries. So, so my curiosity was there. And I was reading the New York Times every day. Mm, right. And with most people in the army would not be reading the New York Times. I would go <laughs> to the library. Ah, and so library. that's my relationship. You know, that was my sanctuary. I would yeah. go to the library and read um, huh? the New York Times. And the New York Times would say what was going on in Vietnam. The army would say something a little bit different. Right. And, you know, my friends would say something. So, you know, it's like you had to navigate all of that. Yeah. Uh, so I was a good soldier and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I spent two years um, in the service. Mm -hmm. But when I came out, um, I realized that it was a tragic war in many ways. Right. And, right. Uh, and, and so then I started also thinking, what do we do about human evolution? What do wow. we do about making a, a better world. So, you know, those seeds uh, were kind of in my mind. Of course. And so, of course, when I left, uh, graduated from uh, the service, 1967, uh, you know, it was uh, civil rights movement, mm. um, the hippies. Right. Um, Relaxing time, right? <laughs> Vietnam, civil <laughs> <Exactly>. rights. <laughs> and, and, you know, I got to march and, and different mm. things. Um, and so I was still curious. And, mm. and uh, so it was uh, from there. And the good news was that I got my GI Bill education money. So right. I was able right. to, you know, go back to college. I went to UMass. And I said, well, I'm going to continue studying psychology mm -hmm. and, um, and find out what this, what do we do with this human person? Right. Uh, right. Uh, so my curiosity was still there. And I, I was really uh, grateful to UMass uh, Amherst and mm -hmm. then UMass Boston 
where uh, I, you know, I study things like Carl Rogers, Maslow, yeah. uh, all the humanists. I, I know I those a, guys. <laughs> yeah, I, I got a degree. I figure we got to figure out how to make the human more human. Beautiful. Especially Beautiful. coming out of the Vietnam era. Right. Uh, and, uh, and of course, during the 60s, I had a chance to listen to people like Bucky Fuller. Mm -hmm. um, and I had a chance to read his book, uh, Operating Manual for Spaceship Earth. And I said, wow, this is amazing. Right. But how do we implement this? Right. Uh, how do we put this into action? Uh, so on the one hand, you have big thinkers like Bucky Fuller. On the other hand, you have people like Maslow, Rogers, right. saying the human potential. Mm -hmm. And eventually... Actually, let me pause you there for a yeah, sec, because I'm, sure. I'm uh, embarrassingly ignorant about Bucky Fuller. Uh, you know, uh, right. And so Bucky Fuller is an unbelievably innovative individual. Um, and one of my to-do items is to deep dive into his vision. Uh, and so here I have somebody who is oh, much yeah. better versed. Uh, can you share with me uh, some of what you saw and what you believe his vision means to us today? Perfect. Uh, so, so Bucky, uh, the first time that I uh, went to one of his seminars, he was mm -hmm. focusing um, on what he called operating manual for spaceship Earth. Spaceship Earth, right. That's yeah. a famous line he's got. Uh -huh. Right. Uh -huh. And so the concept that we are on the spaceship was important and that we, two, two key points that came out of that seminar. Mm -hmm. uh, one is that uh, we have all the knowledge and everything, knowledge, technology, resources to make all of humanity successful. Mm. All of humanity successful. Wow. So yep. keep point number one, that's a very important evolutionary uh, point. And right. the second point is that we humans now are there, you could say the pilots mm -hmm. of the spaceship, but we are not, uh, you could say we didn't go to school for pilot school. <laughs> <laughs> So it's nice. like giving you a 747 right. and saying, Fred, <laughs> fly this 747 where you, you're going to crash it. Right. Uh, that's a really so, powerful metaphor. Yeah. Right. Uh, so, so, so having those visions, seeds planted in, in me, and, you know, I was like 24, 25 years old. Mm. Uh, I, I didn't really know what to do with it at that time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. it, I knew there was something amazing there. Mm -hmm. um, and so he, when he, when he said that, um, so that was his first thing that we have this, uh, capacity, all the knowledge and resources. So in that sense, he was an integral thinker. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, right. Mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't until many years later, I went to several seminars with mm -hmm. him over the years, um, uh, that in his, one of his last books called critical path. Mm. Uh, where I have a signed copy by him. Oh, cool. Uh, and Bucky basically, in the first 20 pages of that book, mm -hmm. he basically says everything he's ever wanted to say. If you want to read the, mm. a summary of Bucky Fuller, read the first 20 pages of Critical okay. Path. Gotcha. Uh, and he basically says the same thing. We have all the knowledge, technology, money, resources to go from what he calls weaponry to mm. livingry. Ah, it's beautiful. I've never heard of that. Weaponry that. to yes, livingry. Uh, and, huh. and, and of course, I mean, he spells it all out. 
Uh, and he talks about all the money that we spend on wars every year and military spending. If we put that into creating humanity successful, we could do it. And, you know, so he's been saying that since 1969. And when totally. he died in 1983, he was still saying the same thing. Wow. So he's like the original game B guy. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, but, so, but here's the, the thing where I'm going to connect this to my work of evolutionary leadership. Yes, I was definitely going to ask you about that. Perfect. Because one of the things that I saw missing in Bucky's, you could say, great plan for the great evolution from, mm -hmm. you could say, uh, for humanity was who was going to do it? Mm. And, and who and how, and, and, right. you know, do it. And I think that was, you know, he kept saying the little individual. He gave a lot of credit to the little individual. Mm. But yeah. the little individual sometimes needs help. Um, <laughs> and one of the things that I saw was, well, needs to become uh, a leader. Right. N needs to learn leadership competencies. You mm -hmm. can't just read the book and say, I'm going to do it tomorrow. A again, that's like being saying, well, you know, here's the keys to the 747. <laughs> go fly it. Well, you, right. you, sorry, you got to go to pilot school. Totally. Uh, and totally. I think we need to go to leadership school right. uh, to navigate uh, this spaceship. Uh, and, and, but he didn't talk about that. So, wow. but he did give me the vision and, and you could say that we are all interconnected, interdependent, because don't right. forget, he's a systems thinker. Totally. totally. Okay. I'm, wow. That's a, that's so let me pause uh, okay. there for a second. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if you have any questions. Yeah, no, I have. A, first off, that's a, um, I'd heard spaceship earth, but I, I, I really, the way you articulated the, the piloting and at the same time, we don't have the training and what we are. And then this question about how we are going to cultivate our pilot school on the, you know, what are we actually doing? And then we actually need this sort of conscious awareness and the evolution of leadership to guide us in a particular way. It's just that, that so resonates so deeply with me in terms of what I'm seeing, where we are and what we need to go. Um, so how long have you been involved in the Institute of, of Evolutionary Leadership? I mean, is that, where did that come about? Do you want to, is there more history you want to give Yeah, let me go into that? Well, uh, uh, maybe two more minutes on the history. Sure. No, there's actually, question. there are several other people I need to ask you about here. No, that's true. That's good. Especially Humberto um, on Matarana. <laughs> I definitely need to get in. <laughs> well, in terms of Bucky Fuller, mm -hmm. uh, so the, the interesting, from UMass, just to finish my academic yeah, background yeah, yeah. a little bit, I realized that if we wanted to make the human successful, as an individual, we needed a successful society right. or culture. So I went to BU to study what we call social psychology. Yeah. So I did graduate work in social psychology. And uh, one of my papers was, uh, if you want to have a sane human being, uh, you need a sane society. Oh, wonderful. I mean, I'm, actually, need a I'm actually teaching social psych. I, I literally stopped I'm de <laughs> developing my syllabus for social psych. So I know a little bit about social psych. I'm teaching my grad students social psych okay. this summer. So, you know, so I, and I, I read uh, in those days, I read Eric Fromm. Yeah. Uh, oh, the same society and the same, you know, he's another evolutionary thinker. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, he said we live in an insane society mm -hmm. and we need to evolve it to a sane society. 
And that's where I, you know, finished my graduate work. And I said, well, you, you need a systemic uh, synergy mm-hmm. between the healthy individual and the healthy society. And yeah. the two would go hand in hand. And so I graduated from BU, went to work in a, a, a therapeutic environment mm-hmm. to practice mm-hmm. my psychology and also feed my two children yeah, and, no, that. and live in Cambridge <laughs> in those days. <laughs> Um, uh-huh. And from there, I went to uh, work uh, to a high-tech company. I got recruited mm. into a high-tech company called Digital, mm. Digital oh, Equipment Corporation, <laughs> uh, DEC. And they okay. gave me the job to say, well, we are kind of crazy over here because we're mm. engineers. Right. And basically help us evolve and transform oh. and oh, make us into better leaders. Oh, and that's how I got my leadership training oh, okay. uh, so mm-hmm. so so it, it was all coming together uh, all right. and i so i learned all kinds of leadership um you could say uh technologies right theories i mean we had so much money in digital that i mean i could study with the best thinkers you know i studied with people like peter senge and mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. people like wow. that at mit uh learning about uh, making learning organizations, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. systems thinkers, Danella Meadows, um, mm. all these people around MIT, et cetera. Mm. Were there any and particular I, leadership or organizational ideas that you really were moved and, or, and influenced by? Yes, uh, I, it's, I would say that uh, the systems thinking approach that mm. Peter Senge brought okay. and, and also people like, um, Donella Meadows uh, brought into this thing um, was really key. Uh, other people like Ronald Heifetz, uh, mm. I don't know if you read any, a lot that he calls adaptive leadership, mm. uh, uh, was also influential. He teaches at Harvard. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. People like Robert Keegan. Ah, well, I know that. Yeah, mm-hmm. the evolving. Uh, evolving self. And, mm-hmm. Evolving self. So it all started to come together. So for 12 years, I was teaching leadership, but I, did, but I wasn't contributing to the big picture. Okay. Of going back to Bucky Fuller for a minute. Right. So right. it wasn't until I left that company and started doing consulting work on my own okay. that I realized that we needed a different kind of leadership mm. to put into action some of the ideas of great thinkers like Bucky Fuller or right. Eric Fromm or right. the other people that I came in contact with, like Maturana, uh, right. et cetera. Uh, and that's where the beginning of the emergence of evolutionary leadership came. Okay, to be. perfect. Okay, perfect. let me just stop there for, right. for any questions. No, that's, or, uh, okay, so, I mean, you get the Bucky Fuller uh, frame of mind, you go, you learn about leadership, you're invested in the particular company, but then all of a sudden you kind of evolve and you have this horizon view. It's like, wait a minute, you know, we actually need to cultivate a, a leadership at a higher level of organization. Got it. Yeah. And just around that time, when I started formulating this evolutionary leadership, at least my version, because later on I discovered right. that other people had some similar ideas from other colleagues. Uh, my version mm-hmm. of evolutionary leadership. Um, I also discovered the work of Jonas Salk, which is 
yes. I wanted to bring him in as a, another influential teacher in my, my journey. Mm. Uh, mm -hmm. I happened to listen to a lecture of his and also okay. read one of his books uh, that's called Survival of the Wisest, uh, huh. which is not survival of the fittest. Uh, it's survival <laughs> of the wisest, in which he proposes we need to go from epoch A to epoch B. And uh -huh. epoch A okay. has a set of values and worldviews and problems that we cannot solve unless we evolve to a new mind in epoch wow. B with a new set of values, a new mindset, and, and a new culture. So wow. we have to transcend, go, evolve from epoch A, where we are today, to epoch yep. B. And, uh, and then I wrote to him at the Sock Institute, which is still in right, right. La Jolla, California. Sure. They're, they're still sure. active. So I, I was like enthusiastic person and right. I wrote to him and, and he yeah. was kind enough to send me a big envelope in those days. Uh, there right. was, I don't think I had a computer yet. Yeah. Um, uh, wow. Digital had computers. We had big computers, right. but there wasn't right, that right. much personal. They were the size computer. of a room or yeah. something. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. so here uh, in this envelope, I opened the envelope uh, and there is a paper that him and his son, um, Peter Salk wrote that is called um, Solving the World's Problems. It's, huh. it's like about really? 20 page paper. And, and he, this is based on a talk he did at the United Nations in Paris. Okay. Wow. And so here, not only he's a biologist, but here he right. puts on the hat of an evolutionary psychologist. Wow which he's not no very idea. well known for. Yeah, no, I had no idea. Of course, yeah, he's just an icon in biology as far as I Exactly. Know. So he basically says, look, we humans are obviously a biological animal, sapiens, uh, and all the world problems that we are facing are the source of the mind. All of them. He says in there, the mind, the thinking, and the emotions, and the values that we have will not help us to solve the problems that we have. In fact, all of the problems we have originate in the mind that we have today. Nice. So he did a diagnosis right. of the entire species. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds then, like I would concur as my metapsychological hat. <laughs> so he's like, uh, excuse me, Dr. Sock, but I think we have a problem with humanity. Come in, come in, have a seat. You know? Right. Uh, so, right, yeah. let's, let me do a workup here and I'll generate yeah. a 20 page summary of the assessment. It's, exactly. We'll start with the pages. presenting problem, the developmental history, where it went awry. Where did you get this problem from? You know, Stone Age. Oh, it started happening around 200,000. Right. Something clocked me on the head and then I got the. <laughs> had I some problems in relationship, you know. I burned a few forests. I burned killed a few, a few animals that right, drove you know, to extinction. Got, got drunk, started eating mushrooms. You know, you know. You got it. And now uh, we got a, Now we got an atomic bomb. Uh, and boom, I don't know what right. to do with it. <laughs> Amen. Uh, so, uh, so his conclusion is. Uh, if all the problems that we have originate in the mind, which includes the values, the narratives, the emotions, because he talks yep. about the emotions, uh, then we need to evolve to a new mind. And that is what he calls a metabiologic 
evolution. And he quoted wow. the word metabiologic because meta, because it's beyond the biology. So you, you got the physics, you yep. got the chemistry, you got the biology, just like you talk in your tree of knowledge. Yep. And I mean, this paper has it all. I can send it to you. Yeah, uh, oh, that'd be beautiful. And he said, well, now we need to go to the metabiological and go from epoch A, which is where we're having all these problems in the 20th right. century, to epoch B, and he spells out the mind, the values, etc., uh, the culture that we need to evolve. And I said, terrific. Who's going to do this? Question, my, my, I go <laughs> we got the Bucky Fuller question. <laughs> <laughs> Who's driving this 747? Who's driving this 747? So, so we got... That we got a spaceship. Right. Wow, we got right. a beautiful spaceship. Check. Now, now we got to funnel it through Epic B. Exactly. <laughs> we got to land this. We got to land it in Epic B. And you know, uh, yeah, well, who the hell's going to do that? I uh, mean, it's going. It's going twenty-five thousand miles per hour. <laughs> <laughs> and no one went to pilot school. And nobody went to pilot school. We better not go. And he's got a few atomic bombs in it. You right, know, right. The things are ticking. Like in a, the luggage. <laughs> the luggage. And if that goes, you know, that's a, the whole if system. We, we better land this thing pretty smoothly, you know. So, yeah, no doubt. I, and I say, oh, my God, what am I going to do with this evolutionary leadership? So I started putting it together. And the vision was we need evolved from Epoch A to Epoch B. And then I started giving Epoch B uh, some titles like sustainability. And then I would say justice, because if we don't have justice, uh, you know, some people interpret sustainability as, uh, you know, only nature, ecology. And sustainability has to be also human. Mm -hmm. Uh, So then I finally said justice, sustainability, and flourishing. Um, mm. uh, so that's the, the, the three key right. words that I put right. in. in fact, I have a little B. map right here that you were worked out on this, right? You know, in that's terms it. of Epic B, there it is. I know most people are listening uh, to video, but I, I mean, audio. So, uh, but there is a whole sort of a visionary framework of these parts and uh, how we might create a visual schematic. So I started off in Boston with, I called the Center for Evolutionary Leadership back in okay. 1995. Mm-hmm. And of course, not many clients, not many people were knocking on my door and saying, hey. The 747 actually doesn't come to your thing and say, hey, we need a coach. Uh, you know, I'm like, hey, do you want some evolutionary thinking? You know? um, and I was doing okay as a normal, uh, you could say, effective transformational consultant. So I was okay. earning right. money uh, as a good professional consultant with big high-tech companies and international companies, NGOs. So Mm -hmm. I wasn't suffering. I was, I was making, but there was this part of me that was underused on the, that's the evolutionary part because I, you know, I kept getting called for work, like, you know, go make this organization better. Uh, transformed this organization mm-hmm. and you know some of them were pretty good people i work with some good ngos i work with you know um, world bank i work with uh, usaid mm. uh, you know i did some good work in, in india and africa wow. and mm-hmm. south america so i was doing good work but it wasn't quite evolutionary enough that's let me right. put it away so let right. me pause there because i do want to bring about maturana but you can right you could 
our well i mean i that, 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 that i'm really glad you brought the general salk story up because i didn't i didn't have any clue uh, that right. he had this uh epic a to epic b vision uh, it's really interesting the parallels that you are reporting with uh you know uh, bucky fuller uh and jonas salk those are real visionaries that they obviously echo the game a you know jim rutt and jordan hall game a uh Daniel schmachtenberg game a to game b uh, uh elements it's remarkable how much this parallel happens i mean obviously in the tree of knowledge you have the fifth joint point a metacultural vision of you know evolution where somehow we manage our uh, our cultures are in relationships with the earth and the digital virtual world and the capacity and, you know, finding our way through the portal in relationship mm -hmm. to that. So it's just, it is striking to me how many people, uh, sometimes it's, I guess I get a mixed feeling. Sometimes it's striking to me how few people see it on the one hand, you know, cause it's like yeah. really there. And then at the same time, it is a very abstract thing. And I'm also sometimes struck by how often, you know, a, a cluster of people see it with a level of clarity um, and consistency that's actually quite dramatic. So I, I love both of those stories. They're really, really fascinating. I really see the thread of your life actually coming uh, on with much more uh, richness and detail than I had before. So this is really enjoyable for me. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Greg. So I, I, I mentioned uh, briefly two other teachers. Uh, and then we'll take it to what is the relationship, if you want, between evolutionary leadership and other movements like metamodernity. Yep, definitely, and, I'd love that. And, mm -hmm. and any other Perfect. questions that uh, you may have. So once I got the, you could say, this um, uh, grounding uh, that we had great thinkers like Bucky and uh, Jonas Salk, uh, who were good diagnostic of the big picture. And once I got that evolutionary leadership could make that contribution, being becoming the you could say the metaphor, the pilots yes. of of this evolutionary journey, mm -hmm. um, I, I started researching um, mm. other thinkers and okay. other people that you could say were in that evolutionary track, right? Uh, uh, and uh, I got to know the work of. Uh, Umberto Maturana, for example, ah, right. uh, the Chilean biologist, yep. and and which recently passed away. Yes, um, and uh, and I had the opportunity to um, you know study with him, um, and also listen. The first lecture that I heard from him was in 1984. He came to Cambridge mm. at mm. the invitation of Fernando Flores, um, and also Werner Erhard. Who were, there, there was a trio of thinkers uh, at this event, mm. and I happened to be there and I listened to Maturana, and I would say it was early Maturana because I distinguish between early Maturana's thinking and later Maturana thinking. This is my own distinction, right. and the early Maturana focused a lot on biology mm -hmm. and why he got known for autopoiesis and cognition. Yeah. Uh, and the human animal being a linguistic animal. And that yep. piqued my curiosity uh, because that event that I happened to go to was called Language, Life, and Human Possibility. That was wow. the name of the event, Language, Life, and Human Possibility. So I started paying attention to the power of language, okay. the evolutionary power of language. Um, and then I, I went to Chile, I studied with Maturana. I took a couple of mm. courses, both in wow. English and Spanish. 
huh. uh, in Chile because sometimes huh. the group was all English speaking people sometimes. Okay. And there I got more of a sense of what I would call later thinking Maturana. Wow. And later Maturana was more for me uh, focusing on the, the need to evolve the human animal. Okay. And they need to evolve this human that he calls Homo sapiens that mm -hmm. towards what he called today, he would call it Homo sapiens arrogance, okay. like arrogant sapiens that <laughs> uh, right? destroying life. Right, right. And evolve it to a Homo sapiens amans eticus, huh. which he would call a uh, Homo sapiens amans means loving. Ethical, ethical, loving animal. Wow, wisdom. He said, yep. uh -huh. Yeah, he said, we need yeah. to evolve this human to this become this new one. Right. But in order to do that, guess what we need to do? We need to evolve the culture. Mm. Oh. So now we need a cultural evolution again. So this mm -hmm. is becoming familiar with Eric Fromm and my thesis. Yeah. You can <laughs> see the repetition. <laughs> we can see where this is going. <laughs> and he said, we, we have a culture today that's patriarchal, yeah. uh, mistrustful, destructive, uh, destroys human, destroys uh, the planet. So we need to evolve the culture mm -hmm. to be a culture of trust, of love, and of uh, ethics. So if you have that culture, including the institution of education, Maturana was heavily involved mm -hmm. with education, then if you create that culture, then the chances are you're going to have a healthy, loving human emerge out of that system. Beautiful. So now you have a systemic thing. So yeah. then I, I saw that in Maturana, and I said, terrific, back to evolutionary leadership. <laughs> <laughs> More work. Right, right, right. Okay. More another vision. Yeah, so, so let me stop there. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I have to say this. I think I mentioned this to you. So. In terms of, you know, when you try to do a unified theory of things or, or, you know, solve things, you have to read broadly. And I'm always, uh, uh, as much as I read, I'm always underdeveloped in my reading. Um, and uh, one of my most embarrassing scholarly moments has to do with Maturana and Barella in relation, because after I published my 2003 article, The Tree of Knowledge System right. and the Theoretical Unification of Psychology, um, six months or a year later, uh, somebody read it and was like, why didn't you cite Tree of Knowledge? <laughs> <laughs> right, uh, right. right. A 1987 book, which I know well now, um, you know, it's like, what do you mean? I then had to go online and then this is famous text, okay, with an right. unbelievably powerful picture of a human and a tree and the brain and the organicity of cosmos and the, how you pull it in and how the knower and the known and the power of language and how it transforms the human yeah, yeah. primate into a speaking creature that blah, blah, blah. We need an organic organic vision. I felt so mixed in relationship to that, uh, that I just, I mean, to this day, I can still feel as a scholar, you're like, oh no, how did I right. miss this? You know, but at the same time, I will say it was obvious. These are two completely independent. And some people criticize me for calling it the tree of knowledge because I actually did mean it. And maybe he did also both in relationship to the Bible, tree of knowledge of good and evil, and in relationship yeah. to the yeah. uh, tree of, you know, knowledge in terms of organicity, the ways in which knowledge trees work and branching from a fundamental root or seed, and then all of that. So anyway, I'll, I'm here on my You Talking With Greg podcast apologizing. <laughs> Sorry uh, that, you know, I overlooked that. No, I, um, but 
But anyway, there's a, there's my confessional. No, you got it. I I, I forgive you. I, yeah, thank I, you. Thank you. Obviously, I've been carrying that around. I appreciate. I, I forgive you. you. And, and what's that expression that says "great minds think alike"? Or, yes, know. I'll take that. Right. I'll, that's you know. the, that is the that was the positive side of the embarrassment. Uh, right. It was like, wow, there's actually a lot of parallels here. No, a lot of parallels. And, you know, there's a lot of parallels. I mean, it's interesting because going back to Jonas Salk, he's a biologist and people only know him as an right. inventor of the Salk machine, totally. not as a big evolutionary uh, thinker, right. uh, uh, et cetera. And the same thing with Bucky Fuller. People know him for the geodesic dome. Oh, he did right. the dome, the dome, right. the dome. They don't know that he created this whole transition plan totally. to go from you could say epoch a to epoch b to go from weaponry to livingry where right. and uh, he was ahead of his time because he said look if you read that 20 page introduction to critical path he right. says things like nobody needs to work nobody needs to work and we're talking now about universal basic income yeah and he said what people would do is to volunteer they will learn for life. They will go through several professions and they will volunteer their knowledge for, you know, they will go and say, what do you need? You need agriculture, you need engineering, you need science, and, but you don't have to worry about earning a living. Right. No, it's, it's if we could cultivate that mentality, I, I believe we absolutely have both the technological potential and the psychic potential, although it's very dangerous because it has to be, Equibalanced in a particular way and to cultivate a particular kind of sensibility, but I absolutely believe that that's our potential. Uh, you know, if it's done the right way. If it's done the right way. So, so here, let me go back to Maturana for one yeah, second. Yeah. So oh, Maturana and uh, his uh, intellectual partner Jimena, Jimena yeah. Davila, they co-author a book uh, that got published uh, a few years ago, maybe two or three years ago, which is in the. It's called the Tree of Living. Yes. The tree of living. So it went from the tree of knowledge to the tree mm -hmm. of living. In Spanish is el arbol del vivir, which means mm -hmm. the, the tree nice. of bringing the fruits into living. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't just about knowledge. It's how do we put it into sure. living in action? Right. And in that book, I would say the last two chapters, uh, I would say, are really clear about mm -hmm. the evolutionary steps that we need to take. Again, mm -hmm. One chapter is about this new human, the Homo <laughs> sapiens ethicus amans, the loving right. ethical loving animal, and the culture that is ethical and trusting and flourishing. Wow. And so if you, those are the last two chapters. So if you read those two, you really are, you realize that those are doable. We can yeah. do those. Uh, but we need to commit to that because at the end he says, the future depends on our doing, and our doing depends on the choice that we create for ourselves. So he right. brings back the responsibility to each and every one of us right. to bring forth, going back to this bringing forth right. uh, a human reality with language, with conversations, with our doings, with our vision. So we are the generators of this new evolution. It's uh, so clear. That's yeah. brilliantly put. Yeah. So then you asked me about how this, this evolutionary leadership relates to, let's say, buildum or yep. metamodernity, for example. Please, so yeah. No, this forward a, uh, a little bit. Uh, so from, um, uh, so by the way, uh, I, 
I come to California about seven years ago and I yeah. formed um, an enterprise here called the Institute for Evolutionary Leadership right. with my business partner, Fyodor. Uh, and, you know, we basically said, let's start offering evolutionary leadership in the Bay Area and other places. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, so I, I went from Boston, moved to California. Okay. Uh, and we've been doing evolutionary leadership workshops and seminars and teachings and having an evolutionary leadership community mm. here in, in the Bay Area, uh, very active. Uh, okay. We're teaching seminars. And, but I continue to uh, explore. Right. I continue mm. to look for strategic alliances. Mm. Uh, mm. And I continue to see, well, who else is doing evolutionary work in the right. world. Uh, so, uh, so I will mention, for example, Lene, uh, yep. Rachel Anderson, uh, with the project of Build Them, mm -hmm. and, and also the project of Metamodernity. Right. So, uh, so in my teachings, I come across people, and one of my students in Denmark, where I was teaching evolutionary leadership, uh, said, you should uh, connect with Metamodernity. Yeah, and you should connect with these people that wrote this book called uh, Nordic Ideology. Right. Uh, so there's a uh, Hansi, and there's Daniel Gortz, yep. and they said you should connect with Lenny Anderson, right. uh, who also read about meta modernity. So, yep. so I have connected with those people, and, and lately I've been in conversations and collaboration with uh, Lenny Rachel Anderson. Uh, mm -hmm. specifically around build them. Yep. And, and, and of course, if you haven't heard it, she was on the channel a little while ago, you know, for right. those that are follow the channel that certainly know her and Thomas Bjorkman also is a, a big exactly. supporter of this uh, frame of reference. So, so um, they are bringing the Nordic, you could say, philosophy of development. Uh, right. The build them philosophy is about creating a, this new human uh, through education, mm -hmm. this human that can be uh, self-authoring yep. that could be evolving from, right. you could say, Keegan level three to level five, right. uh, who can be uh, creative, empowered, and, mm -hmm. and a good citizen of the world. Right. Absolutely. I mean, and so you could say, well, that's not very different from Madurana, for example. Yeah. Huh? And, huh? and in fact, uh, we share with Lenny a four-minute interview with Maturana recently where oh, he really? talks about the ideal education. Ah, and she perfect. was like, wow, you know, we are in sync. This guy gets it, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and of course, he passed away last week, but we have people like Lenny and others and me and you and others who yeah. uh, are about creating this evolutionary uh, step forward. Uh, so build them uh, is about creating this uh, new education system that will produce right. a new human who, in, mm -hmm. and then this new human that will be able to bring forth the evolutionary step from postmodernity to modernity. Totally. So I call that new that human about. evolutionary leader. All right. Beautiful. <laughs> so if you're not, uh, if you are running a school, a high school or a college president, yep. and you accept build them as a curriculum, yep. then you become an institutional evolutionary leader in my book. Totally. 
Okay. So, Does that make sense? I mean, no, it makes total sense to me. I mean, I mean, yeah. so just so, so there's a, you know, I'll, I'll echo what Lenny and I talked about. And I, and so obviously I think this echoes, you know, so for me, I, cause I really think this can be shared and distributed. There's a meta modern sensibility um, right. that we can cultivate. Uh, it's an, it's an include and transcend, not unlike Keegan, uh, right. not unlike Wilbur. Um, it's a way of, a, but less than Wilbur in particular with his second tier consciousness, it's more inclusive, horizontal and feminine, at least, especially the yeah. way Lene articulates it. Uh, I love the four stages of sensibility that sort of come before that it embraces. So oral indigenous, appreciating our connection with nature, or appreciating our relationships, appreciating our fundamental embeddedness and the need for presence and participation in that. Uh, that's, the, that's what the oral indigenous sensibility speaks to me. Uh, then you have traditional formal, which is you know learning about civilization, getting some sort of theological and wisdom philosophy understanding, knowing how civilizations operate, getting formal logical training, things like that. And you know, of course, in our own evolutionary history, we're talking the last five thousand years, the emergence of writing and and the traditional societies in Bronze Age into Axial Age. Uh, then you get modern science, you know, and the epistemological advances of that, uh, especially fused with technology. And, and capitalism and capital labor does a lot of good things uh, in relationship to our control, puts us in the pilot of the global scenario. Uh, and then thankfully, uh, in my view at least, we do get a lot of good constructive criticism from the postmodern view, uh, recognizing white male colonial patriarchy kinds right. of injustice issues, <clears throat> recognizing the danger that this machine, I'd uh, use a Daniel Schmachtenberger term, this sort of paperclip capital labor production machine can like chew up the planet in a particular way if we're not careful. It also is, you know, in all of those societies, we definitely have a bit of a game A, especially in traditional modern, right. to some distant postmodern competitive kind of structure that we, I think we need to transcend. Uh, maybe the oral indigenous uh, sensibility uh, has less of that. Of course, that's much easier perhaps to do in a smaller uh, community. But anyway, that the idea of Bildung and cultivating character. Uh, I think we're going to release on Thursday Zach Stein's conversation here on the podcast. Uh, and I think you may know Zach Stein, uh, but he's certainly uh, big on the philosophy of education. He interprets right. this transition uh, from, say, game A, game B, or this time between worlds uh, explicitly in the context of education, uh, that we have to then figure out how to socialize ourselves, how to build our character. Uh, how to re-nourish uh, uh, ourselves. And so this brings me to a, a comment that, you know, what sort of one of the themes that ties this podcast together that I'd like to share with you, and then this can kind of get us into some of the conversations about this space, uh, is for me, what I'm seeing in terms of what the tree of knowledge into the garden and, you know, the whole you talk frame uh, is I'm very interested in our philosophy and our science and what it means to how we understand ourselves. Uh, and I really see this uh, podcast as being in search of a coherent naturalistic ontology uh, right. that can revitalize the human soul and spirit in the 21st century. Uh, and so, you know, maybe you can riff off a little bit of that and see how that uh, fits, uh, as I think it does with an enormous amount of your own vision and hope and what you see happening in this space. Right. No, I, I, I do think that uh, it fits uh, 
Greg, uh, with what you call a naturalistic, you know, uh, you could say coherent naturalistic ontology. Um, and it fits uh, uh, interesting um, because uh, one of the things that I also learned from Umberto Maturana in his workshop, uh, he used to uh, show this uh, diagram, mm. uh, you know, that he would talk about the two basic epistemologies or the two basic ontologies that we humans mm -hmm. uh, can navigate mm -hmm. uh, to construct our worlds. Mm -hmm. uh, so he would say he would start with the, the human, the homo sapiens, mm -hmm. sure. and he would say these humans um, exist in emotions and language. But, mm -hmm. you know, and depending on the narrative or the explanations that they, you could say, adopt, because mm -hmm. as linguistic animals, we adopt narratives right. uh, without questioning some, some of them. Mm -hmm. right. uh, we, we, the stories, we're storytelling animals, as yeah. Harari likes to say, we are the yeah. storytelling animal in his book, Homo Deus. Um, right. and, and we do, we create the stories and then we forgot that we created the story. <laughs> and then the stories shape us. That's uh, right. Uh, so, you know, we are, we are in this circular linguistic system and Maturana explains that very well in this model. Mm -hmm. And then he goes to the conclusion, depending on the story, the explanation that you either accept or reject or listen to it's, mm -hmm. or live by, you, you move into two potential ontological paths. Let's call mm -hmm. it that. So okay. one ontological path is what he calls the transcendental, mm -hmm. where the world is out there, you know, Mm -hmm. And you could say there are entities and realities, and the, but everything is outside of the human world. Mm -hmm. uh, and you, you can go down the list. Uh, and then there's the constitutive, what he prefers mm -hmm. to call the constitutive ontology, where the human mm -hmm. being as a linguistic animal goes back to the, the term of bringing forth uh, totally. social realities and, and, right. and specifically with language and action, we bring forth, yeah. uh, for example, a relationship like you and I are doing right, right now. Exactly. We bring exactly. forth a social reality, uh, a totally. relationship. We bring forth uh, societies. We bring forth cultures. So it's naturalistic because it depends on the human being a linguistic, biological animal. That's and exactly. we are bringing Beautiful. forth our civilization, and then he talks about a feedback loop back mm -hmm. these worlds that we constitute, that we generate, come back and shape us. So you, now you got this flow. So the quality that's, that's of the exactly conversations right. shapes the quality of the relationships, which shapes the quality of the world that we bring forth, which comes back. And so it's like, wow. So that to me well, is a naturalistic, a coherent exactly right. ontology, and they're that's a beautiful. Yeah, uh, I mean, that's a, that, ah, that's I love that. So for me, and the way I would do it is sort of like, you know, I sort of frame sometimes you talk in terms of the tree, the garden, and the coin. So the tree is like the tree of knowledge. That's like, okay, what did science teach us about what is naturalistically? So that's Big Bang, and then evolution yeah. happened, and then over the last, and that's what's been, and we can map that, and we can use science to create some sort of relatively transcendent map about what is independent of humans. We can talk about how 
dependent is, but that that is the a frame of what is the garden. Fundamentally, is this constitutive narrative that weaves our social world together, and it needs to be pointed toward wisdom. So right. you know, the tree right. is like well, accuracy, but the fundamental point of the garden is the cultivation of wisdom because the wisdom feeds back on itself. It is co-constitutive. The ontology it generates influences the ontic reality it becomes in a feedback loop. Yes. And so, you know, yeah. that's a, that's an I love that he makes that distinction. Uh, it, and so No, it's great. And the way you describe it, it's it's beautiful, uh, Greg. And I would say uh, this is a very challenging part of Maturana's work for a lot of people. Because mm. a lot of people who come to study uh, or who came to study with him, uh, they are still in that transcendental yeah. uh, mode for, mm -hmm. for, for well, whatever. If you get trained as a scientist, if you get trained as a scientist or, yeah. or a particular or, kind of engineer or analytic person. Or, or a very, you could say, traditional religious tradition. Well, there's that too, right? There's that, that's a whole other frame of reference to getting transcendent and, and realist so, dreams. So, yeah, so you could say uh, the constitutive uh, path is, is challenging. It's what Keegan would yeah. say, self-altering, yep. in a sense, because then you go, wow, you mean the, the civilization, the society, the culture yep. that we have is, uh, we created it? Yeah, that's a big responsibility. That's right. You know, that's you right. cannot blame other beings uh, for this thing. Uh, so, you know, that's a very, that's a, you could say, um, that's like really getting the license to drive the 747. This is why I love your system so much, because essentially this is, it's so congruent with uh, yeah. what the Utah tries to do. I mean, the whole point of the coin is like, well, this is our lives. So the coin symbolize, this side of the coin symbolizes okay. our lives. And, and so this is you as Manuel, me as Greg, and anybody's listening inside their own epistemological portal. And then you have your particular life world, life quests, you know, and let's face it, each of us, I, I, I sometimes use the analogy, each of us are fleas on a Titanic. You know, we're bouncing up. Right. Our, I mean, what the hell can we do? Um, but the collection of fleas might be able to turn the Titanic, right? right. And, and the collection of teams may be able to land the ship in a particular type of way. And right. the, But if, for that to happen at some level, our individual coins have got to connect into yes. a web of narrative that then creates a collective and, uh, uh, intelligence system that then legitimizes investment in a particular way and then realizes, to use John Verbeke's term, creates a collective recursive relevance realization system that actually drives the system into the future possible space uh, that it can envision. And that's, that's really, that is part of this evolutionary leadership task that I see you as really you know, having a, uh, an eye on for obviously a very long time and obviously catching people's visions, uh, whether it's, it's Fuller or Salk or Maturana yeah. and being able to see like so many visionaries, it's like, listen, this has been a wonderful ride up to a point, but there's actually has to be a transition to a fundamentally new state of being. And then your vision of like, well, wait a minute, how do we lead people to lead this thing? <laughs> how right. do we become conscious of that, right? Right, you know, right. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah it's beautiful. And, and, I love and it. there is where I, again, in my research, and so it wasn't just a good title, evolutionary leadership. <laughs> okay. um, I said, I, I've said two challenges for myself. Uh, mm -hmm. One is, what are the key leadership competencies mm. that would enable 
a person or a group of person because I don't see evolutionary leadership as an individualistic heroic right. model. I see it right. as a collective group. We need each other. We need collective right. leadership, totally. not individual heroes. Right. Uh, so what are the competencies that would enable uh, such a person, such a leader uh, to be effective in mobilizing our world from, let's say, epoch A to epoch B, mm -hmm. or from modernity to postmodernity to metamodernity. Right. So I chose uh, seven competencies. Uh, when I first started, there were only five. Mm. And then I said, mm, let me add this one. And then I arrived at seven competencies, mm. um, which are the toolkit, so Great. to speaking. Yeah. So if, if, you know, sort of like, we need those toolkits, and I just mentioned two or three of them. Uh, yeah, so no, what, I'd actually, yeah, let's. Uh, let, uh, that's you have me curious now. I'd, be, um, I'd love to hear the, about the sure. So, uh, so I'll go through all the seven of them very yeah, quickly. Please. So, uh, one of them has to do with personal evolution. We okay. each can mm -hmm. evolve our own minds, like mm -hmm. again, like Keegan would say, or right. Maturana right. would say, we can evolve to become a better human, uh, mm. you know, homo sapiens, ethicus, amans, or loving animal, right. or as Keegan would say, level mind five. Right. Uh, so we can do that. So that's okay. competency mm. one. Gotcha. We need to recognize that we are emotional and linguistic beings. Love it. And, and as emotional and linguistic beings, mm. we can evolve those emotions and language and narratives right. and stories to create a better narrative, a better story for ourselves and for humanity. Right. In the, in the you talk, it's that we're primates and people, emotional primates and linguistic people. Beautiful. Right. Beautiful. Primates. So that's number two. And there Beautiful. you have a lot of people who are linguistic uh, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. experts. You know, I, I studied with mm -hmm. Fernando Flores, who was <laughs> uh, amazing uh, linguistic, who took language from academia and put it mm -hmm. into action. Mm -hmm. Uh, the, the work of speech acts and other mm -hmm. work. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the second one. The third one is systems thinking. Ah, we, we need to deal with systems, both natural and human-made systems. Mm -hmm. And there, you know, I had the pleasure of study with people like Peter Senge, Donella Meadows, mm -hmm. um, even Fridge of Capra are taking his course on systems thinking. Mm -hmm. And you could see that it's all the systems view of life. Right. Uh, so that's the third competency. We need to mm -hmm. go between from parts to systems. Mm. Uh, and we people talk about the capitalist system, this mm -hmm. system, mm -hmm. but often they don't know what they're talking about, about a system. <laughs> right. They use right. the word, but they don't understand right. the mechanism, the process. Right. Right. So that's number three. The, number fourth is we need to uh, be able to deal with systemic sustainability. Mm. So systemic sustainability is the three systems that are critical for a sustainable society. Okay. The human sustainability, the ecological sustainability, and the mm -hmm. institutional ah, sustainability. Yes, so in the institutional, you have things like the economy, yep. education, the building education, right. uh, the government. Yep. All uh, the structures that keep the organization flowing. You got it. And they need mm -hmm. to be with a purpose of sustainability and flourishing. Yep. Mm -hmm. So, if, so that's the fourth one. So the fifth one is, okay, who's going to design it and who's going to build it? So we have here something that is called ontological designing. Ooh. 
And that's a term that, that needs to be more applied and understood. All right. And I happen to learn ontological designing from Fernando Flores, uh, oh, wow. who says we, we humans are ontological linguistic animals and we are designers. Yeah. Uh, and we must well be conscious of what we design. Beautiful. Love it. Uh, and so ontological designing puts us in the designing seat. Right. Of what is the future that I want to design? What is the systems that I want to design? So we are like the architects of our society. That's great. There's a book called The Design Way that was very influential that I discovered. Nice. I really recommend it. Yep. And it basically, it's the philosophy of design. Um, okay. And it's by a computer scientist and an architecture and argues that a design mindset really is the professional engineering mindset. And it's very different from both a basic scientist, and it's different from a human humanities, especially in the arts and, and performing. And I discovered, you know, that that was it spoke to me tremendously because actually I'm both a theoretical psychologist who okay. you know, works in the science side of the equation, but I'm also a psychological doctor. Uh, so then I enter into the real world and design interventions and the concerns that they had about how you think about as a designer, which is basically you have desired outcomes in an unpredictable world. That's the task of a designer. You have some notion about where you want to do, but there's all the messiness of reality. And you have to then, how do you operate in the real world to cultivate as the feedback loops of complexity impinge upon you? How do you steer and make the proper judgments in the context of reality? And it's called the design way. It's a play off of like Taoism as in the okay. And it's a very, very, I, I recommend it. Uh, it you know, it's a, it was very moving to me because it really did carve out the idea that the academy maybe should be organized as the sciences and the humanities and really the design professions, which basically are like educators and lawyers and uh, right. the planners and the people that actually build stuff, institutions and, and, and generate effect. And it offered a particular kind of mindset that was quite uh, distinct and powerful uh, from my vantage point. So I love the idea of the ontological design. It's great. Yeah. So I'll talk about the, the, the last two. Yeah. Confidence. Yeah. So the sixth one uh, is called adaptive challenges and collaboration. Ah. Because if we're going to evolve an institution like education or government or capitalism, and right. it's going to require an adaptive challenge. And this I... The, the work of adaptive challenge, I give a lot of credit to one of my teachers, uh, Ronald mm -hmm. Heifetz, uh, mm -hmm. who teaches at Harvard, uh, every, you know, adaptive mm -hmm. leadership. Uh, right. And he says an adaptive challenge is different than a technical challenge because a technical challenge, you already know the answer. Mm. We see, we know how to build a bridge across the San Francisco Bay right. and we've done it. Right. But, you know, create dealing with climate change Right. It's an adaptive challenge requires a change of what he calls in values, ways mm -hmm. of being, mm -hmm. power and learning. So that, right. that is not easy for a lot of people totally. and institutions. Totally. And in order to do that, you need to collaborate. Yep. So we cannot do climate change as an adaptive challenge or create a sustainable society without the collaboration of the different institutions, totally. the different players. Right. Uh, so then the final one is what we call wisdom and uh, vision and, vi and wisdom, vision uh, and wisdom. You need the wisdom to say, is this the right, uh, right. action, the right journey? You know, right. here I am inspired by people like the Dalai Lama, uh -huh. who says we need Buddhist wisdom or wisdom 
to say, do we want to, what kind of future do we want totally. as humans? Right. Uh, and do we have the visions? And the good news is we do have a lot of good visions available I to agree. us uh, to create what we call Epoch B. Right. So when people say, well, what does that future look like? Uh, I can give them a real concrete, tangible totally. uh, scenarios of that future. But I would say that as a, as a network, as a community of, you could say, of futuristic thinkers, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We don't do enough of a good job of offering people a more compelling vision of the future. I think we need right. to do a better job. Mm. Uh, uh, you know, we can talk about metamodernity and, right. and metamodernity. Uh, we have better humans, better this, better societies. Mm -hmm. We take the best of all the indigenous and pre-modern right. world. But we need to give people, uh, you know, a, a summary Mm -hmm. that that vision is better than what we got today. We need right. to be better marketers, mm. marketing mm -hmm. of the vision, not just talk about the present problems. Right. So, uh, so I would say that's, a, that's something that I think uh, we all need to pay more attention to. Do you uh, see, have you seen good examples of that? Or are you hoping for good examples? Do you have any uh, kind of inclinations that would be of what would be like, yeah, how would, how would we catch and portray the values of the future in an effective way? Yeah, I mean, if there, there are people, uh, you know, for example, I mean, I, I could go back a little bit to Bucky mm -hmm. Fuller and say, mm -hmm. you know, he describes that people will have access to education, mm -hmm. uh, people okay. would volunteer work, Right, uh, there will right. be less wars. Mm -hmm. um, technology will be used to make humanity successful. So he's got mm -hmm. some uh, mm -hmm. utopian some visions mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, you have people like the Telos Institute in Boston uh, mm -hmm. who have three scenarios for the future. Mm -hmm. uh, and the, if you go to their website, the Telos Institute, that they have uh, what they call the journey to Earthland. And they mm. talk about what that Earthland future will be like um, mm. in different parts of the world. There are, there are mm. some people who will be more, let's say, uh, oriented to agriculture. Okay. You know, some people will be more oriented to technology. Mm -hmm. uh, some people will be oriented to communitarian living. So it's mm. not like a homogeneous mm -hmm. vision, mm -hmm. but it gives you enough of the future that mm. you go, oh, I could easily live two years that. in here. <laughs> Three right. years, it's like people say, I want to live in Berlin for a year. Mm, mm, oh, no, mm. no, I want to live in the Rocky Mountains for a year. <laughs> you know, right. anyway. Right, uh, gotcha. So, so, yeah, people like Telos Institute. Um, okay. I mean, there, there's a book that I use sometimes in my course that's 45 Visions for the Future. Mm. Um, there, there is a book that you could buy. It costs mm -hmm. like $60. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And you, you have people there like, Donella Meadows talking about uh, a future of the world. Mm -hmm. uh, so, but we, we, we don't communicate them enough. Not everybody's going to buy a $60 book. That's what right. I meant. Sure. And not everybody's going to go to the Talos Institute website. Yep. Yep. Uh, so, no, I, so let yeah, me just I really, pause there. I, yeah, no, I really appreciate that. In fact, you know, you, you shot me an email uh, and, and, and it's definitely been in the back of my mind. It's like, what actually is this you talk thing about, Greg? Where's exactly. it leading? Right. Let's let's, let's talk about that. 
you know, let's, uh, so, so yeah, we can, I'd be happy that we can, that we can, you know, kind of bring this thing full circle and dialogue yeah. about that and, you know, see where we are, but it definitely spoke to me. You know, I love the way you framed it. It was energizing, but it was also, you know, it, it had a point and, uh, and I've certainly been, uh, you know, I definitely have a five-year vision. I'm tracking that in a particular way. And yeah, I'd love to share some thoughts in relationship. Yeah, for me, I, one of the things that I'm talking about vision and wisdom and, and purpose, because one of the things that I say distinguish evolutionary leadership from other types of leadership, one of the things besides the competencies and the transition from epoch A to epoch B uh, is that uh, there, there, is, there is a purpose, at least yep. declare a purpose. Why yep. are you doing what you're doing? What's the purpose of your organization or what's the yep. purpose of your social movement? And often leaders don't have an explicit purpose right. or movements. So when I came across your work and, you know, you take care of TOK, yep. uh, I, I would say, okay, so we have all this knowledge and we have this brilliant psychologist uh, sharing all this good stuff about the human and the mind. I mean, there was a recent post about uh, the evolution of humans. It wasn't only language, it was cultural evolution. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was a really good summary. Yep. And then my question from my purpose mm -hmm. uh, question to you and to that person would be, okay, so... What's the purpose of that insight that you just brought here? Right. What if if what distinguishes human is cultural evolution? Shouldn't we be designing a purposeful cultural evolution? And if so, right. what the, the hell does that cultural evolution look like? How am I yeah. going to live in that in that culture? Am I going to be more loving, more trusting, yeah. uh, more leisure, uh, more flourishing to tell me, but the, whoever wrote that stop at the right there. Yes. Right. Right. No, I, 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 so, so yeah, I mean, for me, for me, this, this bridging, and I'm fortunate, I think in terms of my training, at least um, to have access to these voices, the theory side wants knowledge at one level. It's like, Hey, I, I want my coherence. I want, I want my yeah. system. I want it to make sense. Um, I, and that is a, a valuable thing in and of itself. Knowledge orients uh, in particular ways, just in and of itself for clarity. And then the implications of it that come second, there's that, but there's also the whole clinician side of me, which basically is like, wait a minute, we're in this for adaptive living. We're in this to be oriented toward wisdom. We're in this and not just for one person or an elite group of individuals. Uh, the fundamental system that is oriented toward the good is a way to gather whatever knowledge you can, gather whatever connection you can, and with integrity, move the needle toward better ways of being in the world. And then it, it, is, that, it is that vision fundamentally that really is the difference making. Uh, at its core. So I, I completely um, agree. And I, I love the idea of conscious evolutionary leadership. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, and the idea that what we, what we need, we need to wake up, you know, from a therapeutic yep. perspective, yep. I'll say that, you know, um, I, I focus a lot on what are called stages of change and process human change processes, at least at the individual and small group level. Um, uh, a friend and colleague of mine who I'll actually see tomorrow in a webinar, uh, talked about the process of going from unconsciously incompetent okay, right. uh, to consciously incompetent to consciously 
competent and then unconsciously competent. And what he means by that is, hey, we need to wake up and be like, wait a minute, this is not going as well as we can. Right. And actually, I think if if any if there's any good uh, side effect of COVID, it is the sense that I have that more and more people are actually waking up uh, and shifting from our unconscious incompetence to now our conscious incompetence. It's like, oh, no, you know, the the zeitgeist is is a sense. And so then we need leadership that has a vision that says, well, wait a minute. What are some of the problems and what are some of the possibilities for us? You know, and then we can have start the process. I, this is where I really see us now. It's like uh, systems like Bill Dong and evolutionary leadership and, and the Game B people rediscovering headlock right. A to B people. And, and the Zoom and COVID worlds are actually affording us the capacity uh, for informational networking in a different sort of way. Uh, and we're all now sort of moving uh, that your angle from, well, where are we going to we're going to come to some awareness at some level, but leveraging that to actual change and seeing how that leadership actually happens is, you know, it's just unbelievably central and crucial to the whole process. Um, so that's know. it. Thank you, Greg. That's that's a good that's a good way what you just put in there. You know, waking up to that consciously and incompetence to and, and moving on, and and that's moving that's on. our challenge. That's that's, that's our, our big you could say our big adaptive challenge. So when again, so when I asked about because I asked that question not just to mm-hmm. to your group, yep. uh, what is the purpose? Well, what is the future? Where mm-hmm. do you want this knowledge and wisdom to go towards? Uh, because we can, you know, there is a value in doing really good research and, and yep. coming up with all the connections, but we need to also work towards that future totally. because it's up to us now. And, and, yep. it's, and it's our, you could say, it's a big evolutionary challenge totally. uh, that we cannot avoid. Yep. Um, and so I, my, you know, I'm sort of like the, the, the the person who is sort of there kind of bothering you a little bit. Um, <laughs> no, it's a, it's a very, yeah, no, it's a really, in fact, that's a, you know, I just sent out a summary to the list uh, because part of that, that summary is like a 125 word summary and then a couple of definitions of some key things. And basically it says, and that's your in the back of my head. I got a couple of people nudging yeah. me like, like you are, that are, you know, don't just be a theorist, you know, what are you doing it for? You know, when, when right. you know, there's definitely that. And, but it, that, so I'm definitely honing my own, like the you talk part of this, you know, for right. me is sort of like, all right, I'm carving out, I am an academic, I'm a theorist, I'm going to carve out a particular intellectual problem, like the enlightenment gap and the, the problem of psychology. And that, that right. affords me an opportunity to be like, my analytics side needs to say, hey, I need to frame what I'm talking about and know what the issue is with a particular kind of reductive analysis. So I can be like, yes, I can point very clearly the errors that I can then correct. So that's where my, that's where my yeah. systematized mind goes. And then it says, well, the Utah can address this enlightenment gap and problem of psychology. So that becomes the analytic part that then, then sets the stage for us to then turn around. Well, if we can actually address the enlightenment gap and problem of psychology, the implications are what? Well, it's like, actually, there is a, the failure of that shrunk our souls and spirit and caused us to be blind in relationship to our potential. Right. And that is what it is that we in the clinical side of me and the unified approach side and everything's like that is what we can draw from 
to connect to like the meaning and mental health crisis at the psychological philosophical level. And then I also need to connect with leaders who understand institutional systems and yeah. economics and international relations and all the other brilliant people that are doing wonderful stuff at various levels of analysis. And if there is an alignment, between certain kinds of core problems that some visionaries are able to get, some visions about the various levels of analysis. We nail some of these competences and get together and are guided by people like you are like, yes, pay attention to the future and where we're going with clarity. Well, maybe this thing can actually happen. <laughs> Terrific. Well, this is great. This is great partnership. And, and again, it's collaboration uh, between different uh, ways of thinking and doing and I think that's, that's great. So this has been a terrific conversation with you, uh, Greg. Uh, it's been a really enjoyable conversation. I'm so glad you came on. Uh, is there uh, any kind of either final thoughts or places that, you, you know, links or anything? I can put a link to your uh, center. Uh, in yeah, the show notes please do. Uh, yeah. yeah, you put the link www.evoleadinstitute.com. Uh, there are some videos there and, and also papers and stuff there uh, that you could do that. And, and lastly, I would say, um, and I'd say everyone can be an evolutionary leader. This is not uh, something that you have to go to five-year school program <laughs> at Harvard or anything like that. Uh, anyone could be a leader and leadership can be learned. And we need more evolutionary networks uh, right. of people like us. And, and, and spread uh, this vision uh, to go from epoch A to epoch B. So we, we need to all share and work together. Absolutely, I love the loving ethics and wisdom and that all that orientation that speaks so deeply to me. Thank you, keep nudging me, it's been great. Okay. <laughs> keep nudging Thank us you. in the right direction. Uh, all right, thanks great, so much thanks for, for the invitation. I look forward to future conversations with you and everyone. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Thank you. Bye -bye. Take care. Okay. Take care.